Well, this morning, we bring to a close this Christmas journey in which we've been studying through our Advent series within our reach. And this morning, we look at the most important thing of the series, the most important thing of the Christmas season, what Christmas really brings within our reach, Jesus. And within our reach has been our five-week journey of rediscovering how Jesus brought hope, he brought peace, he brought joy and love within our reach through the story of Christmas as we also look to learn what the implications of that are, uh, what that reality is for our lives. We looked at how before the arrival of Jesus and through the arrival of Jesus, we see these various themes that come to the surface throughout the story. We witness how in different various gospel narratives and the story of Christmas that we see these, these themes that arise in correlation to the birth of Jesus. We have saw and looked at hope, peace, Joy and love. And this morning we look at all, at the source of all of those things, Jesus. This morning we are going to be focusing our time in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. The bulletin says Luke, that is my error. Uh, Matthew 2, 1 through 12 is where we are going to be focusing our time today. We're actually going to be picking up the story of Christmas uh, right where we left it off in Matthew's narrative last week. This part of the story we, we often refer to as the story of the wise men or the magi. And like the contemplation of divorce by Joseph that is told by Matthew, Matthew is the only one that tells the story of these three wise men or magi that come to see Jesus. It's part of the Christmas story in which we see there's actually more written around it as narrative and storytelling than any connection to post-prophetic meaning. In this story, Jesus has now been born. Christmas has come. Some educated philosopher types, these magi or wise men as we call them, were individuals who passed their time in search of truth. And they searched the stars, they studied and collected different cultures' prophecies, and they were always tracing and tracking royal lineages. They realized in their time that something unique was happening. There was something in the present day that spoke to them about the context of the time that they were living in. Prophecies, this lineage of David, and the heavens, that uh, the way they align, that alerts them that this Jewish Messiah, this king, will soon be born. They knew that Jesus is coming. Now, to what extent they understand that reality we don't know i mean after all they were philosopher types who were for looking just for truth and they were looking just to explore these various things in every culture but what we do see around this promise of a jewish messiah is that they took it serious enough that they actually leave their comfort and they travel with some really expensive gifts for great distance probably months across the desert to enter a culture they don't know to see the reality of this thing, this thing that they know and believe will affect the whole world. It's important to notice that at the time, everywhere was looking towards Judea. They were hoping for a king that would arise. So these foreign philosopher types had their eyes peeled with eyes of wonder and mystery. 
a quote from the commentary of critical and explanatory on the whole Bible. And it says, The Roman historians, Suetonius and Tactius, bear witness to an expectation prevalent in the East that out of Judea should arise a sovereign of the world. The, eyes had their, the world had their eyes peeled to Judea, waiting for this thing they knew, believed, that could just affect the whole world. That's where we pick up this morning as we look at Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And I encourage you to follow along in your Bible in front of you, or you can also follow along with me on the screen. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. When he had come together, called it to get, when he had called together all the, people's, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, my uh, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now there's a few observations that I want to make about this passage. A story that we know well. It's a story that we tell every year and we remind ourselves of every year. And Many of us probably even put symbols of these wise men on our trees or around our nativity scenes. It's a story that has become familiar to us and so there may not be anything that jumps out to you as, wow, that is so radically different. That is so revolutionary. But let me make just a few observations. We see the story of these philosopher types, these magi, these wise men come to town. And they start questioning around the streets. They, they are expecting to find this prophetic baby boy. This baby boy who's born at the hand of prophecy. They learn that we learn that they are not Jews because they've traveled from the east and they ask, where is this king of the Jews? They understand that this birth of a Messiah should be of great magnitude. It should be all over the streets. But as they ask around, it seems that they find little direction, little help. King Herod, who has his ears the ground is a very insecure leader, and Roman history itself records that. He was always worried about somebody undermining or challenging his leadership. He tried with everything he had to live into their prophetic hope. He had married a Jewish bride. 
He had brought jobs and infrastructure and improvements to their way of life. He tried to live into Jewish people's expectations. And so when he gets word that these foreigners are poking around his streets and his town, asking why there's, where this baby boy is, this boy that is born to be a king of all people, he becomes disturbed. In fact, it says both Jerusalem, the people of God, and King Herod were disturbed by these foreigners. We see panic kind of erupt from the challenge that the arrival of a Messiah brought them. Herod attempts to take advantage of these spiritual seekers. Ironically, it's only about four and a half miles, most uh, historians estimate, from where Herod was to where baby Jesus was at this time, right? It's only about four and a half miles. And so Herod himself is too lazy to either send people or go himself. He tries to take advantage of these spiritual seekers by pretending to be on their side so he can utilize their search to gain more power for himself. Because at the end of the day, he has no interest in actually meeting Jesus. He has no interest in going four and a half miles to encounter this thing everyone is talking about, what these wise men are looking for. He is only interested in taking advantage of these wise men's work so he can find a way to snuff it out. Matthew says that as Herod brings these people together, they tell him this beautiful prophecy of Micah. Micah, a prophet, ironically, who was known for speaking under the reign of many kings, and he spoke against dishonesty and idolatry generations before the birth of Jesus. So here these people are playing into Herod's hands. They're quoting to a king, this prophet who told where Jesus was going to be born. And ironically, it's a prophet who undermined kings. And thankfully, though, uh, they don't get it. And the star reappears for the wise men as they leave King Herod. We see instantly, it says, they become overjoyed. They rejoice. They find that it leads them in their journey to Jesus. Now, as we think about this story that we know well, I think there's actually a few takeaways, and we're going to look at just four today. A few things that, from this story, I think are important for us to talk about, that are important for us to walk away with, and to think about. Matthew beautifully paints this picture of outsiders seeking after spiritual truth with such integrity that it instantly puts them at odds with the empire and those that should be in the know. The search for truth brings them to Jesus. And there, as they are sitting there with, as Matthew says, a child, so we assume that Jesus is probably a little older by now, as they are forced to face this child, they are forced to think, now, is this what we've come all of this way for? Is this what we left our home for? Is this what we brought gifts for? In response to that experience they encountered, Matthew tells us that these foreigners, these philosophers, bow down in worship of Jesus, both with great gifts of wealth and meaning. Now, worship, when we think about it, when we look at it, when we define it, is a practice that is a physical act that includes and represents submission, adoration, and homage. Here Matthew tells his Hellenized Jewish audience, these Jews who had really become comfortable with the empire, really have bought into what Herod was doing. 
he writes to them and says that it's these foreigners that have modeled submission, adoration, and homage to a Jewish Messiah, the King of all people. I wonder how Matthew's audience would have read that. It's these people from the East, those people that you didn't like, those people that you tend to overlook, these people who were just searching for truth anywhere they could find it, they're the ones that show up on the scene in the middle of Judea, and they're the ones that model what worship of Jesus looks like. It's from this story of spiritual searching and worship that we take our final takeaways from this series. Now let me just say there's a lot of things like Herod in our life that demand worship. There's a lot of things in our lives that that really try to promise and want to bring us peace, joy, hope, and love. Things that, in all honesty, want to be our prophetic answers. They want to be the things that take our expectation. But as we see in this story, the answer can only be found in Jesus. And only Jesus is worthy of our worship. The first point I want to make is that Christmas reminds us, the story of Christmas reminds us that we really have to wrestle with who Jesus is to us. In this story, the Magi, the wise men, are really only seeking after truth, responding with their physical presence, their gifts and presence, as well as their purpose. And in seeking after the truth, they are forced to wrestle with who Jesus is as they encounter him at the feet of Mary and Joseph. As they encounter Jesus, they find that the prophecies are true, and they worship Jesus. They presented him with three unique gifts. Now, many theologians and historians and commentarians have said that there is great symbolic meaning in these specific gifts. And in the same way, there is also other theologians and uh, historians that say you should not read into any symbolism into those gifts. And while I think there is actually some significance to the gifts that are presented in Matthew's way of telling the story, what we need to understand is that these were costly gifts that were certainly fit for a king and given as an act of worship. Whether we see that there was representation that he would suffer and that he would be a prophetic voice and that he would be a deliverer, regardless if we see that gold could also mean the presence of God in the temple and all that, we don't need to make those correlations, and Matthew doesn't make those correlations for us, to realize that these gifts were given costly and as an act of worship. The story of Christmas begs the same of us as we studied as we think about it, as we read it every year, and as we encounter this Jesus in the middle of it? Have we responded in the same way of the Magi? Have we responded with our physical presence? Have we given our gifts and presence to him and our purpose? When we see Jesus at the center of the story of Christmas, do we respond in worship? Is the story of Christmas something that makes us feel good? Does it remind us of our faith and the life we live, or at the center of it, does it drive us to worship? A worship that requires submission, adoration, and homage. Now, I wonder what character in the story that we identify with the most. There's Herod, there's the people of Jerusalem, and there's these magi, or these wise men. Now, Herod was concerned that the presence of Christ would interrupt his power, his position, his purpose, his place, his lifestyle, his comfort. Really, he was just full of himself. He wasn't interested in walking four and a half miles 
battles to see what the fuss was about. Instead, he'd rather use people to his advantage and kill off every boy to protect his power, his position, his place, and his lifestyle. The people of Jerusalem were not much better. They were kind of these clueless insiders. Now, they knew the holy words. They were able to save them. They were able to to quote Micah, this prophet, to, to Herod. But like Herod, they become upset. It says that they too became disturbed about these foreigners that were responding and investigating their prophecy. They were cynical. They were clueless. They were confused. They had actually stopped seeking and responding to God. Sure, they knew the words. They knew what was supposed to happen. And if they would have thought about it like the wise men, they probably could have said, oh, the time is ripe for such a thing. But instead, they allowed their comfort to dictate them. They had stopped seeking and responding to God. Then there were these wise men, spiritual seekers who left everything behind to look for truth wherever it could be found. And they find it in Jesus, and they worship him with everything that they have. And even though they were threatened by the empire, they were kind of cast off and ignored by the in-crowds, they still found themselves being led by God's spirit of provision through a light and through a dream. Now, let me tangent just for one second on this light and dream that the, Pharise- that the wise men had. Derek Morphew doctorate of New Testament studies that I quoted last week says, if there's one thing that connects the birth story of Jesus together in Matthew, it is that prophetic guidance through dreams and other means is once again occurring. You see, Matthew in his creative storytelling is doing something really interesting that we may overlook because we don't understand the context of what's happened. In a creative way, he's beginning to say that God is now within your reach. We'd study Jewish and history at this time and, and writings. We will see that people were under the understanding that God had grown seemingly silent. They weren't engaged with their Messiah anymore. They, they didn't hear voices. They didn't have dreams. They didn't have prophetic words. For the most part, all they were left with are these echoes and words of prophets from yesterday. However, Matthew makes it seem normal that the prophetic guidance of God's Spirit is here once again. In this time where everyone kind of viewed themselves lost in the darkness with only echoes of yesterday, Matthew's narrative begins to develop this reality that God's Spirit, once again, arriving with Jesus and even with these foreigners, is active. Listen to Matthew's narrative. We looked at some last week. We looked at the rest today. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Wise men from the east have seen a prophetic star of the Messiah. The star then moves to lead these foreigners to Bethlehem. Then the Magi are warned in a dream to not return to Herod. An angel will, in this next part of the story, appear to Joseph and guide him to Egypt and then bring him back and then tell him when to move to Galilee. See, Matthew's narrative, when we pay attention to what was happening at the time, is saying that God literally was within our reach. His silence was broken. 
he could touch us, we could touch him. With Jesus, we were once again within God's reach, and he was once again speaking if we were truly looking for it. His Spirit was on us again. Because of that, our second point makes sense. Christmas reminds us that you are within God's reach. You are within God's reach. It's what the story of Christmas reminds you. We've looked at how these themes that show up with the birth of Jesus hope, peace, joy, and love, these ideas that have really become inseparable to our way of celebrating Christmas, we see them throughout the story. Now, we all want Christmas to be happy because, in all honesty, most of us are struggling with loneliness, stress, being overworked, being at odds in some relationships, struggling with health concerns, or we succumb to some other fear. Even though we want Christmas to be this time of happiness, and we believe it should be because of the way we see it show up in the Scriptures, in all honesty, Christmas isn't always happy for us because those things we want to escape from at Christmas actually then also become the obstacles that stop us from actually enjoying Christmas. I'm sure the Magi could not understand why the town wasn't happy when the prophecy of this king being born was so obvious to them. Now, they surely too knew the words of Micah, these words that said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judea, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It was this prophecy that promised Israel, promised Israel, this small town in Israel, Bethlehem, that they were not a ghetto, they were not overlooked, they were not lost in the darkness, they were not lost in the shadows, because that is how they had become defined. And for centuries, Bethlehem was actually viewed as insignificant, despite this prophecy being known. Matthew shows us that God's prophetic promise and its fulfillment of that promise proclaimed that even the overlooked Bethlehem and the foreigners from the east were within his reach. So no matter this morning what you are struggling with as we are still in this season of Christmas, the story of Christmas reminds us that you, no matter what you're struggling with or wrestling with, are within the reach and the touch of God. Christmas reminds us that you are in God's reach. And thirdly, Christmas reminds us that We are all within God's reach. Now, historians have long debated what this star was in this passage. Is it really a star? Was it a supernatural light? Some uh, older commentaries even speak that, hey, maybe they were led by some type of comet or meteor. And what it was is not important. The important realization is that it was obviously God who was leading their journey. It was God who was leading his foreigners to find him as truth. Now, I love when they come out of their encounter with Herod and they look up and they finally see the light again. And the passage we read says that they have become overjoyed. Other ones say they rejoiced when they saw it again. They became giddy. They felt energized in their journey to continue. I'm sure they were like, ha ha, there it is. We can do it. We're almost there. I mean, it's obviously right over there. We just got to go a little farther, guys. Come on. And they began to uh, renew their energy after this months of journey towards Jesus. Now they knew the way. 
and they encouraged each other onward. We tell ourselves the story of Christmas every year. It's part of our rhythm as a church of the church. And we remind ourselves of its promises. However, it's also important that we realize that we are to be the light of the story to each other. Right, everyone here, regardless if you like them or not, you can look around, and, and regardless if you like the person around you or not, uh, we must believe that they're within God's reach. And the story of Christmas needs to serve to remind us that we need to be this kind of guiding light or star to each other, to remind each other that don't worry about those things that we are praying about, that we are struggling with, that you are struggling with. We are all, not just me, we are all within God's reach. There's the star again. Come on, guys, we got to keep going, right? The wise men found energy. It is important to the story of Christmas that as we look to Jesus as the source, we find ourselves looking at each other and being the light of Jesus to each other. Lastly, Christmas means that the world is within God's reach. In Luke's telling of the Christmas story, the angels proclaimed that Jesus was hope and joy for all people. Remember that? We looked at that th- two weeks ago. Luke says the angels proclaimed that Jesus would be hope and joy for all people. Matthew illustrates that same proclamation by symbolically telling his Jewish audience that these foreigners had come to worship Jesus and worshipped him in their own way when everyone else that should have been doing that and been in the know was standing around and missed the cue. Matthew knew this story, and he knew that it meant that the world itself, everyone, was now within God's reach. God was accessible to those who were seeking the truth. Regardless who they were, he was accessible to the whole world. One of the problems with the church is that we often grow too cynical to the world around us. When that doesn't satisfy, we usually grow cynical to each other, begin to kind of talk to each other about the problems we have with this or that or with each other. You know, it wasn't much different for the Jewish people either. To them, there was only Jew and Gentile. There was only uh, the Jew that had hope. But even in their Jewish kind of faith that they shared and cynically looked at the outer world, there was also divisive differences that erupted that turned them kind of cynical to each other. All that led them to missing out to this fact that God was now with them, that God was now within their reach. In fact, they missed out on the most important part, that God was actually reaching out through them to the whole world. In this story, it isn't the outside, it's the outsiders and the foreigners that get that. The story isn't Christmas, uh, the story of Christmas is one that just says God's within our reach, but really that he's in the reach of everyone. There's no favorites. It even includes those who we cynically see as different, as foreign, as strange, as wrong, as outsiders, or maybe even as godless. In fact, as this story shows, they might even have God working in them, right? Here is these foreigners who knew very little about a Jewish faith system. Find the provision of God working in their lives through the star and through a dream. Sadly, God's people missed out on that. They judged them and were disturbed by these outsiders who came and kind of worshipped in their own way. But 
they missed out on the fact that God was working in the life of the outsider. In closing, let me say this. John, in his telling of the story of Christmas, says this. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love this confession and proclamation of John. He says, God came and made home with us. He dwelled with us. He moved into the neighborhood. We've seen it. We've touched it. It transformed us. The story of Christmas serves to ask us this question. Have you truly seen the glory of the Lord that John is talking about? Have you seen the glory of God? It's not just this cute story from yesterday. It's not just these historic prophetic words. Matthew's narrative tells us that God is with us. His spirit, his presence is with us, and it is leading. It is guiding once again. His voice speaks. It transforms us when it does. I hope the story of Christmas reminds us that no one is ever lost to the Jesus as truth, the way, and the life. Like the Magi, we must kind of enter this place where we are forced to wrestle with who Jesus is for us. We may have served him our whole lives, but have we truly faced Jesus, this Jesus that we encounter in the story of Christmas and surrender to him in worship with our homage, with our adoration? Let's be reminded that Jesus brought us within the reach of God. Let's remind each other that he brought us all within the reach of God. And let's orient ourselves to realize that we need to be the light of the world with and for God. And may hope, love, and joy, and peace kind of flow through us to all we meet. And and let that be what comes through us and not our cynicalism. Because honestly, if we've seen the glory that John is talking about. We've experienced the source and the life of salvation and believe that salvation and life is for all. And because we know that story, we must realize that God is leading them too. I invite the worship team to come forward. And as the worship team comes forward and ends us in this final song, I encourage you to stand Turn your eyes to Jesus and ask him, in what ways have you missed out on something in the Christmas story that we've looked at throughout this series within our reach? What is one way that you've missed something that the Christmas story means or has brought within your reach? And return that area to him and surrender to him in worship.